0: For sure. I mean, you can make a to-do list, but it's more important to start with a not-to-do list. And for those out there, 90% of most of your listeners probably make a to-do list because 90% of people who are successful do make a to-do list. But what's interesting is very successful people in the digital era, we call them digital leaders, uh, one commonality we saw with them is they make a not-to-do list. Only 4% of the country makes a not-to-do list, but they've figured out, it's really important to make this not to-do list. Well, we don't realize our brains trying to complete any unfinished tasks. So our brains trying to complete item 37 on our list. And so one of the easiest ways to actually increase our processing power to decrease our stress is have almost everything default to the not to-do list.
1: That's one small step for man. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have loud. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven.
0: Six. Five. Four. four three. Two. One.
1: Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome back to the Super U Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. The quote of the week is, we discover who we are by discovering who we're not. So don't sweat those past mistakes, learn from them. And of course, they do not define who you are, rather who you're not. Today we're sharing an interview between Equal Man and Denise Griffiths from your partner in Success Radio. Eric shares ideas on how to focus better, why you shouldn't answer your emails first thing in the morning, and advantages of making a not-to-do list. Denise Griffiths is a long-time online business creator and marketer, online business manager, and passionate World Press web developer. She is, of course, the host of Your Partner in Success Radio. Now in its 13th year, the show brings together leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from a wide range of business disciplines, from marketing and sales to leadership and productivity to share stories, wisdom, tips, and advice with a hungry audience. All of us at Equal Man Studios would like to thank our listeners. You are the reason this podcast exists. Thank you for listening, leaving those reviews, and writing in. So, here we go. Enjoy today's interview between Eric Qualman and Denise Griffiths.
2: Successful and happy people understand that it's not about getting more things done. It's about getting more of the big things done. And today we learned the not-so-simple art of doing less with my guest, Eric Qualman. Now, he is a five-time best-selling author and keynote speaker, and Eric has spoken in over 55 countries has reached over 50 million people, and he is the best-selling author of five books on digital leadership. He was also voted the second most likable author in the world behind Harry Potter's, J.K. Rowling. I've read all of those books. He has partnered with with brands such as Starbucks, Raytheon, Chase, Sony, National Guard, IBM, Airgas, Disney, and over 200 universities. And he is also the founder of – and I'm – I'm probably going to have to apologize, but I don't know if it's Equalman or Equalman Studios, which has produced film and animation projects for the likes of Disney, Cartier, CompuCom, Chase, Hearts on Fire, IBM, and many other global entities. Eric, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's Good to have you here.
0: It's great to be here
2: i have to tell you in your most recent book the focus project and thank you for sending me that book by the way i spent the weekend with it it is on my desk i have it on kindle i've yellow highlighted it all over my kindle the book the physical book has sticky notes in it and i love it it's a a terrific book and i'll be writing an amazon review later on today i started it and then i kept going with the book and oh i need to add more but in this book you say that focusing today is hard really really hard but it can be learned and it can become a habit before though i rush all over the top of you tell people a bit about you more than i have told them and why you wrote this book and why focus is so very important
0: no thanks for having me on thanks for the kind words I've been in the digital space now three decades. So I started as an intern very young out of Detroit. And so I was in digital before digital was a thing. And my first book, Socialnomics, was written twelve years ago and I was telling people, hey, the social media thing, this MySpace thing at the time, and this new thing, Facebook, are gonna revolutionize the way we communicate. And so it was the right place, right time. And so that took off. And I've not written six books, but the latest book is almost an anti-venom to that first book, Social Nomics, where I was telling people, hey, you got to get into this stuff. You've got to understand. You've got to understand. You've got to step into this digital world. And then I started to witness and watch people go too far into their phones. And if you have a teenager, you know that's for sure. But just saw two people, people go too far into the Jetsons. And I told them, look, you got to kind of take a little step back. It's a combination. It's a balance of Flintstones, Jetsons. And then I wrote the Focus Project as an anti-venom to that book, but it was also for myself. So starting with a reader of one, readership of one, is that I would get done with the end of the day, um, and I own my own company. I'm an author. We have an animation studio. We own, own some web properties and do some board games. But I'm sitting there going, why is my hair on fire when I control my technically, quote, unquote, control my own schedule? If I'm wrestling with focusing on the big versus the busy I wonder if everyone else is. And so I started just asking around whether it was a CEO to a school teacher uh, to a stay-at-home mom or dad. And everyone seemed to be wrestling with focus in this completely unfocused world. And so what I wanted to do is a project to really figure out from a research perspective, both the institutional research, what's been written over the last hundreds of years on how you can focus, but also then from a street research standpoint, take some of this and test it out on myself. I was going to be the guinea pig. And so that's what I spent two years doing. And it was two years because the first year was a series of failures, to be honest, as false starts five times, because that's how hard focus is. And so that's the whole genesis of the book, why I wrote it, why I reference it myself uh, when I'm faced with these focus issues, when I start being pulled towards the busy versus the big. So that's it at a super high level.
2: Listen, this book is terrific, and I don't say that just because you're my guest. It is a terrific book, and I have big trouble with focus. I have a monkey brain. It's running all over the place. It's climbing up trees. It's throwing stuff. It's just doing – we all do it. And I'm aware that I have a focus problem. I'm painfully aware of it. So this book landed on my desk really when I was saying, I need help. I really – really need help. I've got big ideas. I've got things I want to do. Well guess what? I did about a third of oops, gotta go over here. I'm done. It this has to stop. I mean it's just not right. So one of the things that and I'm I have it on my candle right now I'm looking at, but you start with number one focusing on growth. But the big thing for me was number two, focusing and you crossed off time and you substituted the word time with energy management. I think that is so important.
0: No, you're right. I think that one fallacy that I was able to uncover is that, wow, if you just gave me more time, I'd be fine. Or if I just had two more hours of my day, well, that might be good for about a week, and then you'll fill that up. Or if you look at it more, not in the fantasy world, because no one's going to just hand you two hours or 12 hours, which you're going to fill anyways. But if you're dealing with the here and now, let's say you woke up tomorrow two hours early. To get stuff done well the research shows you're probably going to get less done because you're going to be tired and so it's really about that energy management not time management so there's a lot of billions of dollars made around time management but really your focus should be on how do i manage my energy and how do i push that energy towards the most important things in my life first rather than last meaning i've got to do sometimes the toughest things first so that i've got the energy to do it and then save the easier things when i don't have as much energy
2: And, you know, I found that I am a morning person, I'm a very early morning person, but I find that I flag around noon, between noon and two, I'm just gone. (laughs) Don't ask me to do anything. I probably can't or won't do it. Then I perk back up later in the evening and I'm going full bore again. So those segments of your day that you can say, hey, you know, I'm going to be fine from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. I'll build websites. Once you figure that out, I think that's very helpful, too.
0: No, you're right. Everyone's different. That's why in the book I'm going, hey, I hope you just take one thing away from this book that's going to help you. And I'm going to walk you through what I did, but everyone's different. And so you'll try something and go, oh, that really works for me or that doesn't work for me. Um, So to your point, if you can find out what daytime, what parts of the day that you seem to be the most creative, most productive, And then you start to just make sure you make that a focus from a standpoint of, for myself, for example, I'm a morning person. So if I'm going to write a book, that writing is going to have to happen in the morning. And it should be the first thing I do. So attack the day before the day attacks you. And so, and some of this, your listeners, you've heard this. I've heard it. So it's very simple when you hear it, but it's not easy to execute. So it's really just trying to figure out, okay, now I'm going to change this want into a must. How do I change this want into a must? So instead of I want to write a book, I must write a book. Once you change it to must, all of a sudden you start to assign certain blocks of time or you know, certain scheduling blocks out certain times for those specific activities.
2: Exactly. One of the things that you talk about is Fred the Baker. Let's talk about that because that's a fascinating story.
0: Yeah, for some of you listeners, you might remember this, but going back, there's, one of the most successful advertising campaigns of all time was by Dunkin' Donuts. It was so successful, actually, that it changed how we even spell the word donut, um, so that you can now spell it without the gh. You can spell it just like Dunkin' Donuts spells it. But that the, the whole campaign was called Fred the Baker. They've done they did over a hundred episodes. Um, you can check it out on YouTube. But for those who might remember, but those that's new too, you can check it out on YouTube. But it's a series of commercials where Fred, the baker, is basically exhausted from making the donuts. He's like, I made the donuts. Time to make the donuts. So the whole thing was time to make the donuts. So people literally in the United States were going around saying, time to make the donuts. Just like Nike, just do it. This was time to make the donuts. Um, It was so successful that they actually named the biography of the owner of Dunkin' Donuts, Time to Make the Donuts. And they even had a parade for the actor once they moved on from that campaign. They had a parade for Fred the Baker. He was so beloved. But the key for us when it comes to focus is there is one particular commercial that was the most popular of all the commercials. And it's a situation where they keep showing him leaving his house and then coming back during different seasons of the year. So it's just showing rinse, wash, repeat that his day was, Time to make the donuts. I made the donuts. Time to make the donuts. I made the donuts. And then at the end, his world's completely upside down. Basically doesn't know did he make the donuts or is he coming back from making the donuts? Or is it time for him to make the donuts? And a lot of us fall into that Fred the Baker scenario to where it's each and every day we're running a hundred miles an hour and we're not getting anywhere. We're on that treadmill of life, not going anywhere. We're not getting the big things done. We're getting the busy things done. And so a lot of us need to avoid that scenario of kind of that Fred the Baker, did I make the donuts or is it time to make the donuts? And really focus, and I'll repeat this a ton during the course of this interview, it's are you being pulled by the busy or are you focusing on those big things that you want to get done?
2: And I have to tell you, I, I hate donuts. <laughs> I can't stand I know, I know that's not natural. So I have no idea. I mean, I've seen Dunkin' Donuts ads, you know, online, but I did not know this story. And I was reading it and going, oh, "I'm Fred." I knew I was Fred. I hate donuts, but I'm Fred. You know, it was just, it was kind of upsetting to realize how much time and energy and Creativity just goes washing away because, you know, you, you're right. Time to make the donuts. Okay, I made the donuts. Ugh, let's start all over again. And if you're not focusing is what I'm taking away from your words in your book. If you're not focusing on the big things and you're letting all these little piddly things and busy- busyness is something that we talk about a lot in this podcast you're just tired, you're upside down, and the next day is going to be more of the same. And I don't want that. I don't think any of us want that.
0: No, you're exactly right. And when you look at it, so I was suffering from the same thing. And I still do. Look, I've written the book. I know what I need to do. That doesn't mean every day I do it. And so you got to give yourself some grace that there's going to be some days, life's like a roller coaster. The key is just to make sure you're still going on an upward trajectory, but there's going to be some dips. And so the question becomes that I had was, okay, how do I avoid this more times than not? And there's a lot of stuff we go over the book. What really helps me the most is that the night before, I'll actually write down what's the one thing that if I do it well makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. So again, I'll repeat that. What's the one thing that, if I do it well, makes everything else easier or unnecessary? You can do it right in the morning. I prefer to do it at night. By doing it at night, it allows me to sleep a little bit better to where, and part of that's neuroscience, that your mind thinks, okay, that's taken care of. So you're not thinking about that, that thing that you need to do. It's not keeping you up at night. You've actually put it down on a piece of paper or you've put it in a spreadsheet. You've written down, what's the one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? And then the key is you figure out like you mentioned is just what part of the day works best for you. For most people, you do want to attack it first thing in the morning before the day attacks you and set a certain amount of time. Go, okay, that first half hour before the day even begins. there's going to be a lot of stuff. I'm just going to, for a half hour, just focus on that one thing that I wrote down so that I keep that ball progressively moving forward. Now, as you start to do this more and more, you can layer on some complexity. So what I've started to do, and it's really helpful, is I'll write down, was my day a plus one, plus two, or a plus three? Or was it a minus one, minus two, minus three? So plus one, plus two, plus three, minus one, minus two, minus three. Days never neutral. Now, that allows you over time to track, so you write that down. If you do have time, some of us don't, some days, but when I do have time, I, I write a little sentence like, why was it a plus two or why was it a minus two? And then over time, you'll start to identify patterns on what's making your day a plus two or a minus two, a plus one, minus one. And that's really helpful. And as you advance even further, what I like to do is I like to try to be an optimist and try to the night before, I'll say tomorrow's going to be a plus three day. Because I am going to write for an hour, or I am going to do well speaking on stage, or I'm going to spend time with my daughters going out to do whatever we're going to do, artwork, whatever it is. We're going to shoot baskets, whatever it might be. And so those are little things that you can do and give yourself grace. Because a lot of you listening, you're like, all right, let's start doing that. And literally, like, how long does that take to write plus one, plus two, and maybe a sentence? What does that take you? Three minutes? But sometimes we just fall by the wayside. So you got to give yourself grace. And just in time you'll get better. And in time you'll do it most days.
2: And you know what you have to do as well? And a lot of people don't do this. I have been guilty of this myself. You write it down in your little journal. It might be one word. It might be an entire paragraph. It can be anything you feel like doing. But you don't go back and read it. So you're not tracking. I'm guilty. Been there, done it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, would you do the plus one, minus one? It's really helpful to kind of go back and look at it, and you'll start to see those patterns. And then what that allows for you to do is check in with yourself during the day. So during the day, you go, oh, I'm headed towards a minus two day right now. Why is that? Oh, what can I do to make it a minus one instead of a minus two? And by doing that, or maybe you're having a plus two and you want to go to a plus three day. And so you'll remember, oh, yeah, this is what really makes me fulfilled. It gives me the fulfillment. Uh, This gives me joy, which ultimately can lead to happiness. And so it's really just identifying being present in the moment. So all those little things do add up over time. It's not going to happen overnight. I'm still a work in progress like all of us uh, when it comes to this focus. But it really does help just to pause and go, what am I doing right now? What should I be doing? What kind of day am I having? I'm having a minus two. How do I at least flip this a little bit, judo flip it to where it's a minus one? um, And over time, you'll get better at that.
2: So basically, if you will sit down with yourself and monitor yourself, whether it's going back, did you have a bad day yesterday? Are you having a better today? What's going on? What can you change? But the real question is, what can you focus on to make that day go better? And to say, well, yesterday didn't work because, okay, let's focus on this today. Does that sound reasonable?
0: It does. What I was trying to do was there's a lot of books and other things out there that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this in the morning. Give me a break. Like I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to journal. I'm going to have some meditation time. Like I go, that'll be the, my my morning, then linked in the afternoon if I were to do all that. So I was trying to take a more practical approach of what's reasonable. And even when I say this, like I said, you've got to understand that I'm trying to make it as short as possible because it's just being reasonable with all of our busy lives, is that some days you're going to slip as well. But that's why I was saying, look, at a simple level, can I just write down plus one, minus one, plus two, minus two? And then when I have time, write out that sentence. And then when I can – check back, and look at that. So I haven't written a pair. If you can, if you have time to write two paragraphs, go for it. I'm not saying don't do that. Uh, But I'm also trying to be, for all you listeners out there, as practical as possible because I know how busy all of us are. So we're trying to at least do something because our DNA, what we do is it comes overwhelming and go, well, I'm not going to journal because when I journal, I want to make sure I write a full page. And so we've got to give ourselves a little more of a break and understand that there's going to be days we're going to write two pages, but on a lot of days it might just be a sentence.
2: I do well with a sentence because I can immediately read it and go right back to it. It's just a reminder more than anything. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what was happening. Oh, I was mad that day. Or no, it was a great day, you know, whatever was, was happening. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got... Day minders that go back from a long time ago. And I can pick one of those up and, and just look at whatever was in, you know, those, they have those little tiny boxes like you were supposed to be able to write in those things. So I learned to get very, very focused on what I was writing in my day minder. But I can go back and go, oh, yeah, okay, that was fun. Or no wonder I hated that job or <laughs> whatever it was. Yeah. Just a single sentence can be brilliant if you just kind of focus on it, put it down and move on. No,
0: exactly right. We talk about in there are you chasing antelope or are you chasing chipmunks? <laughs> Meaning that if you're if you're a lion and you're chasing chipmunks all day, they're easy to catch, but eventually you're going to die because it doesn't give you enough sustenance. And so they have to chase the antelope, which is a lot harder to do. And it's a lot harder to kill. And the same metaphor holds true for life is it's very easy for us to gravitate when we get up, when our energy is at the high point, that we go to answer email. And that's chasing chipmunks. And it's part because of the dopamine in our system, we feel good when we take our email down from 100 to zero. We're kind of tricked into that, that, oh, I made progress. But actually what you're doing is the most, more times than not, you're just kind of chasing chipmunks instead of chasing that antelope. And so that's the key when it comes to that focus is understanding that, yeah, 20% of life, you've got kind of these chipmunk things that you have to do whether it's taxes, whether it's X, Y, Z, or something broke in your house. But in these little things that we have to do or at work, yeah, I've got to answer some email, but the key is just understanding that 80% of your time should be spent I'm chasing the antelope.
2: Got it. In your book, you say that regret weighs tons while focusing only weighs ounces. And I had to highlight that. I had to really try to figure out what you were saying by that because that's a pretty pithy statement. But then, you know, the idea is, according to your book, is what would a year look like if I'm maniacally focused on one aspect of my life per month? I would love to hear what that means.
0: Yeah, because when you think about it, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, but we don't really think about that in the micro, at least I don't. And so you're always like, well, I'll do it tomorrow. And then you're like, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes. So the key is, you know, focusing in the moment only weighs ounces, meaning literally, if you start today, small steps lead to giant leaps. Um, It's funny, I took the time to actually frame by frame, look at all these Olympians jump, long jump, and their smallest step happens right before they do their giant leap. And the same holds true for all of us, is it's really those small steps that really lead to success, is that you've got to just say, okay, if you wanted to write a screenplay, let's say, that you're like, I don't have time, I'm not in the right frame of mind today, I'll do it tomorrow. Instead of what you need to do is go, I'm going to carve out, four minutes that sounds ridiculous right I'm just gonna do four minutes a day but you got to start somewhere and a lot of days when you start that four minutes it goes to 40 minutes it goes to four hours and so it's really about keeping that focus at the front and center to make sure you don't have that regret because if the days didn't start to stack up all of a sudden you look back over the course of the year and go geez like what did I really get done what did I do Uh, what I do with my family, what I do with my work life, what I do with my spiritual life. And so it's really looking at those facets and understanding that that's what it means. And then also for all the listeners out there, the reason, one of the reasons I started writing the Focus Project, the book, or doing the project itself, is I'd really start to, my mind, think, gosh, what would it look like if for a month I just focused on fixing everything in the house? Or what if I looked for it for a month if all I did was focus on writing, that I wasn't worried about doing an interview or running this thing for this company over here or doing X, Y, Z. It was really just trying to figure out that fantasy. You start to get excited when you think about it. Think about how much you could do if all of a sudden you just focused on one thing for a month, for a year. But then I had to walk that back. Because you got to live in reality, right? You're not just going to – if you focused on one thing for a year, like if you just focused on writing for a year, you could probably write four or five books. But you've got a family. You also – plus you probably might be working. It might be a side hustle if you're, say, writing a book. And so that's why I walked it back and figured out what's reasonable for most people. And, and the book, it started at two hours. And then really at, for most people, it's like let's start at a half hour. Let's just try to carve out a half hour a day to focus on that one thing that would get you super excited for a month. Now you might go for a year, but I wanted to test different things for a month just for the project. But for you, the listener it could be, I just want to carve out a half hour a day for a year, or I just want to carve out a half a day to start for this week. So start small, carve out, like I'm going to start half hour, but somebody might be sitting there laughing going to half hour. Are you kidding? So I don't care if it's three minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, Figure out what you think's doable, and then carve out that time for that one thing that you know is going to bring you that fulfillment. That You know that's big thing that's out there. A lot of you listeners, you're hitting those triples. You're hitting those home runs, but you know there's a grand slam out there. Or you've climbed a bunch of summits, but you know that big summit's out there. Or you've stepped into your story, but your biggest chapter still waits, and you know it because that's what's keeping you up at night. And so it's carving out that time. You're like, tomorrow? You're like, today. Today is the day I carve out this time, and I'm going to carve it out for this specific time each day. And again, for most of us, that's in the morning. For others, it might be late at night. But it's trying to figure out, where is that pocket of time I can carve out so that it's non-negotiable? And most of us, it's it's in the morning before the day attacks you.
2: And you have to actually do it. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to do this 30 minutes every day, and then Look, Facebook is a great leveler. Go back into your memories on Facebook. You will cringe. Oh, I'm writing a book. Oh, I'm going to do that. Oh, geez. That was three years ago. No book. Pay attention <laughs> this is my point here. If you say you're going <laughs> to do it, just darn do it.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I write the book because uh, my wife's uh, Colombian, and so she speaks Spanish in the home with the kids. And I found myself I was learning Spanish. I was getting better. But then to your point, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not that good. I've, I've been spending 10 years learning this, and I'm probably at a C-plus level. If you were to ask me, hey, if you spent 10 years and you're trying to learn Spanish, I'd be like, oh, I'd be like Shakira. I'd be I'd be fully fluent after 10 years. And so that was another epiphany for me. Uh, and she raised a great point that it's so true that all of a sudden I go, oh, my gosh, it's been – Ten, thirteen 13 years, and so I haven't been crushing Spanish as well as I thought, and so some of those are kind of eye-opening for you.
2: They they really are. I mean, those Facebook memories pop up every day, and I'm almost reluctant to go look at them because I'm like, oh, gosh, what did I promise this time? A lot of it's just, you know, I curate a lot of content, and I talk about my feline office assistants because they're funny, but sometimes I really... Step in it and I just oh Denise yeah. oh jeez." so when your book landed <laughs> and then I've lost yeah. focus because now I'm focusing on bad Denise gee whiz you know get your head out of your fanny and go do something <laughs> so there's good. my point is there's good focus and there's ugly focus and I I want to stay with your book and go with a good focus
0: yeah I know you're right and one thing to, to remember is that I'm The subtitle is The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less. So my whole thing is I want all of us to do less, comma, better. So think less, comma, better. Because what we do inherently, especially at the beginning of the year when we do New Year's resolutions, only 9% actually succeed at doing, is that what we do is we just pile on way too much at once. So it's really about those small steps, and it's about doing less but better. So literally, if you have that, your list of goals for the year, it's, and this sounds defeatist, it sounds un-American to do this, but it's really about understanding at some point, like, oh, I'm no longer going to be a professional golfer, (laughs) I got to live with that. What am I going to do well? You know, it's like looking at the six things and going, I'm going to trim this down to three and I'm going to attack these things and do less but better. And then in time, what's ironic, you'll actually do more because you'll get those three things, you'll be very good at them, and then you can layer on. Rather than taking on everything at once, you overwhelm yourself, uh, you feel defeated, and then you kind of throw up your hands and give up.
2: You just read my guts there. (laughs) But we all do it, and then we have stress, and then we say, uh, and the stress is, Almost always, at least in my life, self-induced. It's I do it to myself, and I think we all do.
0: Yeah, no, it is, and, and it's easy to do. So if you're like me, I ninety percent of successful people make to-do lists. To-do lists are good, but if you're I was like going so to ask you, right? I was yeah.
2: going to you not because you say don't make a to-do list. It's more important to make a not to-do list, and I love that so. Keep on going. I'm sorry. I had to interrupt because I was so excited about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, 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 for sure. I mean, you can make a to-do list, but it's more important to start with a not-to-do list. And for those out there, 90% of, most of your listeners probably make a to-do list because 90% of people who are successful do make a to-do list. But what's interesting is very successful people in the digital era, we call them digital leaders, uh, what, one commonality we saw with them is they make a not-to-do list. Only 4% of the country makes a not-to-do list. But they've figured out it's really important to make this not to-do list because the way our brain works is that let's say if you're like me, I have my to-do list, i like to-do, 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 and it keeps layering. It just gets longer and longer. And let's just, for argument's sake, say that we are having a good day and we're focused on the big thing versus the busy. We're focused on the important versus the immediate. Normally that's not true. Mostly we're the victim of the sense of urgency. You know, the, we're getting pulled by the urgent rather than the important. But let's just say that we're having a good day. We're focused on number one. Well, we don't realize is our brain's trying to complete any unfinished tasks. So our brain's trying to complete item 37 on our list. And so one of the easiest ways to actually increase our processing power, to decrease our stress, is have almost everything default to the not-to-do list. And so the best way you can do that, and this is going to make a lot of you sweat today, what I'm telling you, because it makes me sweat every time I do it. Uh, a lot of type A personalities, I'm sure, that are here, just like myself, is that take your to-do list, take a look at it, and then do what I said at the beginning of this conversation. Look down that list and then circle the one thing that'll make everything else either easier or unnecessary. That's right, unnecessary. Circle that, bring that over, that's your new to-do list. Everything else should now go to your not to-do list. So it's really that level of hyper-focus that we need to get into. That really will lead to that success. And also, as you look at your to-do list, one of the easiest ways to complete a task is to decide that that's no longer necessary. Um, And so that's what I mean by saying that less but better, is looking down that list and saying, yeah, it'd be nice to do this one thing, but to be honest, it's not one of the most important things, and it's going to derail me from that most important thing. So let me take this off the list, and now it's done. I'm just not going to do it. Um, and it could be anything. You can look at it and say, like I said, the example I gave was someone might have a list of, I'm going to be, you know, a scratch golfer. Or you're saying, I'm going to be a great pianist. And it's not defeatist. It's just really looking at it and going, these other three things are more important than that. And so I'm going to take that off the list. That's going to be now completed.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. You and I'm an A-type personality and I'm a recovering, all right, I'm lying. I'm trying to be a recovering workaholic. It's not working. But my to-do list was, <laughs> I'm trying. My to-do list was beautiful. I started doing to-do lists when I was a kid. I was a small child bossing my siblings around. I was the oldest I could get by with it. But my as I grew up and I found Excel and I became a nerd on nerd in stilettos, my to-do lists were color coded. They had times in them. I was so rigid about it that I just about drove myself buggy. I mean, I really did. And, you know, multitasking, oh, you, your to-do list is ripe for multitasking. Don't do it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, we think about, we're jumping around a little bit, but with multitasking, because that's another thing that most of us, all intentions are good with multitasking, because we want to beat Father Time. You know, Father Time's undefeated. We want to get ahead of the competition. We want to ring more of our 24 hours. So all good things when it comes to our intent with multitasking. But ironically enough, we achieve the exact opposite, that we actually get less done. Because the way our brain functions is that when we say we're multitasking, uh, this is when we're doing two cognitive tasks. So let's say you're listening to a Zoom meeting or you're listening to a conference call. You're trying to write an email. You're using the same part of your brain. So your brain gets confused. It's trying to figure out what's more important, A or B, task A or task B. And in that moment of switching, so there's a switch. We're trying to switch back and forth. There's a loss of efficiency, so much so that our IQ can drop up to 15 points. Uh, which my dad's always really quick to point out and say, son, you can't afford to lose 15 points. That's a lot of, that's a high percentage of your IQ. Uh, and that's a whole other podcast. We can get into a whole other radio interview. But when we look at it, it's the equivalent of not sleeping for 36 hours. And as teams, when you multitask, your productivity can decrease by up to 40%. Now, what, so I call that, you know, that's, you should do that, switch tasking. So you want single task, single task, single task. Not easy to do. I'm a recovering multitasker. I've now known this for 10 years. And so I catch myself literally every day multitasking. I say, stop, do one thing at a time. Now, there is good tasking. So what is good tasking? So good tasking is when you're using two different parts of your brain. So it could be that you're on a conference call and you're walking in the woods. That's good tasking. You're getting exercise. You're using different parts of your brain. So one's physical, one's mental. You're getting green. If you just see the color green, it actually helps you out. It makes you feel more alive. It's just in our DNA. So literally just seeing green, the color green they've done studies that shows it actually heightens uh, your energy. And so even if you can't get out in the woods to walk into nature while you're on that conference call, if you literally just look at the color green, um, it can help you. So that's what's called good tasking. it takes many forms. Say you're on the conference call and you want to wash your car, you want to fold laundry. That is good tasking. And we shall take advantage of that. It's something we've learned during the pandemic. Yeah, why wouldn't I get some exercise while I'm on this call? And so the key is to focus on good tasking and avoid that multitasking because most multitasking should be called switch tasking.
2: Not only that, but you make silly mistakes. I mean, really silly. And then you go back and go, how did that happen? Oh, never mind. I was trying to cook, feed the cat, and write a blog. Never mind. I figured it out. Yeah. You can't do all
0: those things. You got cat food and the jello, just like your Christmas vacation, you got some cat food and jello.
2: Exactly. And one of the things that you say in in your book, and I've heard you say it in other places, is that the power of saying no and how to say it. Listen, my mom swore that my first word wasn't mama, it wasn't daddy, it wasn't dog, it wasn't cat, it was no. And she said I meant it. I Mm -hmm. said it with great flair. It's still my favorite word as far as I'm concerned. It's a complete sentence. But you know who I don't say no to often enough? Take a guess. Yourself. Yep. And I'll catch myself saying, really? You knew you didn't need to do that right then. You knew you didn't need to multitask. And then I have the bad Denise chat with myself, which just, you know, you go further down the the hole there. So, but how do you say no? And why do you say it? And how, you know, we all, we all need to learn to say it. There are going to be clients, potential clients that come to you. They're not a good fit. You knew it, but you took them on. Now deal with it. So let's talk about the power of saying no.
0: Yeah, the power of saying no is interesting because when I was looking at these successful people, these people have 30,000 people that report into them at these companies. And I go, how the heck does this person become so successful? And when you look at it, you ask them, they're like, well, I'm a little better than focusing at most. And I go, what's the biggest challenge you have? They're like focus. So, they understand that tenuous nature that they're a little bit better, but they can always slip below that bar. And when you look at very successful people, they're better at focusing than us, but it's not because it's in their DNA. They're not born with it. They've set up systems and processes to enable this. They do not rely on willpower, because willpower will fail you more times than not. So, they're relying on systems and processes. And so when it comes, the other thing that they're really good at is they say no to almost everything. That's the other thing that they differentiate themselves. They say no to almost everything. So to start off, one of the easiest systems to remember is if it's not a heck yes, it should be a heck no. So if it's not a heck yes, it should be a heck no. Meaning, hey, do you want Super Bowl tickets? Heck yes, I want those Super Bowl tickets. Hey, do you want to join us for this meeting on XYZ? Gosh, I probably should be there. That's not a heck yes. So it should be a heck no. And when you're going to say no, the quicker you say it, it's better for all parties. And I'm going to walk you through – it was tough for me because most of us are people pleasers, so it's very hard for us to say no. So a lot of times they'll say, oh, not today, but maybe next week. But guess what? They're going to reach out next week, and you still don't want to do that. And so it's really about understanding how do you put that system and process in place. So for me, when I know it's a heck no, that it's immediate – I'll tailor and customize that response if it's an email or if it's on a phone. But most of the time it's, I'd love to do this, a good opportunity, thanks for reaching out to me, but I'm heads down on my next book, so I can't, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do it. So it's quick, it gives them the reason, and it's immediate. Now, where I ran into some issues when I was testing this out is that I I volunteer at our church. And I travel quite a bit because I speak at a lot of conferences. So I'm on the road quite a bit. And so I always protect. I have 52-night rules, so I'm not away from my children more than 52 nights a year. So often they'll fly with me. Or once we start to ratchet up and sign enough contracts, we're just like, we're not doing anymore unless the kids are coming with me. Or if it's a local event, we can do it. So those guardrails in place, one of the things when I'm at church, when I volunteer, I want to make sure that I'm in my kids' class, right, so I can spend some more time with them. I have two daughters, and invariably, they need more volunteers for the boys' class. And part of that's because boys are a little rowdier at this age, elementary. And so I'm volunteering, and they reach out to me and say, hey, I know you signed up for the girls' class, but can you do the boys? We don't have enough leaders for the boys. Now, in the past, I would have said, sure, no problem. And then I wouldn't have had that quality time with my daughters. But it's really hard for me because I'm sitting there going, what kind of volunteer am I? Like it's only on my terms that, no, I don't want to volunteer for my daughters. But since I was doing this project, I go, let's test it out. I go, you know, I travel a lot. And since I travel a lot, the reason I signed up for the, the girls' class is so I can be, spend time with my daughters. So I'm thinking, oh, I did it. Okay, cool. That that should be it. They'll have me do the, do the girls. They'll get an email back, hey, we're really short on the boys' Can you be a leader for the boys? And again, in the past, it would have been like, no problem. But you go, know, I'm testing this project out. So I literally copy and paste what I'd sent before, tailor it just a little bit different, send it back. And then this time, they reply back, okay, we're going to, this ladies, that's also a leader of the girls, she's going to go to the boys. Now, so now it's a win for me, but also, this isn't always going to happen. It's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns, as my daughters say, but the the lady that went over and did the boys, she actually enjoyed leading the boys better than the girls. So that turned out to be a win-win. That's not always going to be the case. But the point of the story is that by testing it, since I was in this project, and then literally she said twice, I had to say no twice, and then it, it worked out for everybody. And it worked out for me, especially because I got to spend time with my daughters. Now, in the past, that never would have happened. So – It's really about sticking to your guns and try to get those processes in place, those systems, so in time, when you do say no, you've kind of got a system that allows you. Again, systems meaning, is it a heck yes, is it a heck no? If it's a heck no, then you have another system that you have kind of an email that's like, sorry, I'm heading down on this book. Um, This opportunity, I'm going to have to let someone else, this great opportunity, someone else to take it, because I can't allocate time to this. And do it as quick as possible because it also is a win for the other person. They can move on and get somebody else. Whether they're trying to sell you something, whether they need you to volunteer, whatever it is, it helps that other person out. Uh, Obviously, the best way to help them out is by saying yes, but the second best way to help them is with a quick no as well.
2: And I love that. And I have a a similar way of doing things because if it doesn't resonate with me right away, I'm just not going to do it. I'm a little pig-headed that way. But – it works It works for me because I don't get roped into things that just make my stomach hurt or make me mad at myself, or I'm not going to do well because I wasn't interested in the first place. No is very important.
0: It's very important. and You're right. I love how you say that in your gut is that sometimes we think we have this false sense, and I do it too. And that's why it was a big learning for me, a reminder to me that we think we have so much more time in the future. So if somebody asks you to do something two months out, You're more likely to say yes, because you think, oh, I'll have the time in two months. But then two months come, and guess what? You still don't want to do that thing that you agreed to. Uh, It's not getting you excited. It's a maybe. It's like, ah, that's okay. Maybe I should do that. No, you should kind of delineate. Life's so short. It should be, if it's not a heck yes, it should be a heck no.
2: No, I love that. In fact, I'm going to, I just wipe my whiteboard above my desk. It's clean. That's going up there. And it's not going to be heck. Yes, it's going to be hell. Yes or hell no.
0: Because there you go. All in. I
2: like it. I'm all in.
0: And then for a lot of this stuff, we'll do this exercise because it's a fun exercise. Because sometimes people, as we've been talking here, they have a good question, which is, well, how do I know what's my true north? That's what, how do I know what my passion is? How do I know it brings me fulfillment? Um, first of all, and we'll do this exercise in a second together. But one thing you can do is at the end of each day, if you're doing that plus one, minus one, or if you just write down what made me the happiest and what was the biggest challenge, in time you'll see those patterns. So if you do that, just write down what made me the happiest. You'll start to see, oh, this is what I should be doing. This is what I'm passionate about. But more importantly, this is what brings me fulfillment. This is what brings me joy. And so this exercise we're going to do is you've got to start with the simplest form because uh, over time, then you can go back to this as your compass when you're trying to figure out what should be on that not-to-do list, what should be on the to-do list. And so I'm going to give you my email address, because it's if you send this to me, you're more likely to achieve it. If you send it to someone, you don't have to send it to me, but I'm going to give you my email address. If you want to send it to someone else, go for it. But my email address is very easy. to Remember, it's equalman at equalman.com. So just my first initial last name, which forms Equalman. Sounds like a superhero, but equalman at equalman.com. I'm gonna ask you a question in a second, and it has a one-word answer. So if you put the subject, just word W O R D, but W O R D in the subject. But it's Equalman at Equalman dot com, just exactly how it sounds. Sounds like a superhero. But the question I have is that if someone, there's a question that a lot of people ask, like in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is what do you want people to say about your funeral? But the modern version of that, because I've been on stage with Stephen's son, and I was rereading the book, and I go well. The world shifted, so the real question you should be asking is if someone were to Google your name right now, what's that one word you'd want to show up? What's that word you'd want to show up five minutes from now, five weeks, five years, 50 years, 5,000 years from today? So what do you want your digital legacy to be not only five seconds from now, but 5,000 years from today? So the question is, if someone were to Google your name, what's that one word that would show up? And when you have that word, then that's kind of your true norm. And when you have time, and it's going to take you a couple weeks to do this, but most of you, that word popped in your head, is you want to take that word to a sentence level. And that sentence, to make it easier, you should put it in a structure of two blank, so that blank, two blank, so that blank. And a lot of you are sending words like kind. I want to be a, a mom, a dad, inspire. Some of you are sending the word Empower. That's my word, my word's empower. Now your sentence will be different than mine. Uh, My sentence when you put in that framework to blank, so that blank, mine goes, word empower, to empower people to their best life so that they can inspire others to do the same. So again, to empower people to their best life so that they can inspire others to do the same. So I implore all of you, take your word, in a couple of weeks do that sentence, because when you're faced with difficult decisions when it comes to focus, you can always come back to this as your true north. And that allows you to figure out what's busy and what's big. What's going to matter a year from now versus a second from now? And trying to walk yourself through that. And, so, and doing the best you can. It's about progress, not perfection. That's the other learning. When it comes to focus, it's not about perfection every day when it comes to focus. It's about making progress. It's progress over perfection.
2: When I was reading your book, I wrote two words down, and I'm so glad you brought this up because I didn't think to. I didn't know that we would be kind of discussing this, but, you know, I had my iPad. I was outside in my green yard, and I love that because I live in the deep south. It's muggy. It's green. It's relentlessly green here. You can't avoid it. And... I have giant windows, so I'm constantly looking outside at green and I'm constantly wandering outside to go sit under the trees and just unless it's too muggy, too hot, then I'm like mm, air conditioning. Here I come. But the thing is I've, and I'm going to blame this on you or credit you with it. You take it any way you like it. But. <laughs> either way. <laughs> yeah, either way, it's up to you. But, you know, I was reading about focus and I was reading about, you know, how do you focus on what matters most to us and how. And I was reading the the Nobel Prize story. And you're talking about obituaries. And I thought, what is my true north, as you said? And this is what I wrote down, Eric. I am impatiently curious. You wouldn't think those two words go together, but they did for me.
0: I love it. Impatiently curious. I love that. Yeah, me. I love me. it, love it, love it. <laughs> oh, good.
2: Because I'm going to write that word. <laughs> I'm going to email you and write that. Because I was actually rewriting my bio after I started reading your book, going, okay, now I kind of know what it is that I need to let people know that I do, what I, what I am, who I, how I operate. I'm impatiently curious. Two words, but together they're perfect for me.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, you could say, I'm not going to, you're going to write your own sentence, but. No, no, write like, it for me. To be I'm impatient. already done. <laughs> <To> be, <laughs> I to ran be impatiently out. curious. Yeah, to be impatiently curious so that others can learn from my discoveries. Like that's an example of taking that and putting it in a sentence.
2: Oh, I like that. And
0: then you're always looking that's back really and saying, are people learning from my discoveries? Like, am I making an impact? And you can see it. You definitely are, and so that's that's an amazing one. That's a good example.
2: I love that. Thank you. Because I was writing this morning, it's like, okay, how do I how do I get this out there? How do I get it out of my my tummy because it's in my gut right now? And how do I get it written? And you just that's very helpful. So thank you. But going back, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Reducing stress and achieving your best life through the power of focus. We've been talking about that a bit. But is there any, do you have a case study in your own life or with your client's life that just really encapsulates that?
0: Well, first of all, stress, like he sits out like Jeff Bezos, and he'll tell you stress is often caused by inactivity. It's caused by inactivity of not doing, attacking the thing that's causing the stress. So by doing the activity, by kind of attacking that one thing, that big thing, that helps reduce the stress immediately. Now, for the focus project itself, for for me, when I was going to do this to enable it, so here I am, okay, I want to do this focus project. What's the one thing that will make everything else easier or necessary is that first month I had to do well at sales to afford the capability, you know, the luxury of doing the 11, other 11 months. And so most of what we do is I speak on stage. And we do some other things, but that's the primary driver. It drives most of the other things. makes everything gets easier or unnecessary. And historically, we don't really focus on sales. It's like people reach out to us to kind of have us speak on stage. And I go, well, let's just maniacally focus on sales for 30 minutes a day, two hours a day, whether well, that's me reaching out to the CEO I know, just emailing someone or just staying in touch with people or saying, hey, oh, you you know of a conference? Oh, You know, my my topic might fit in there for that. And so by doing that, it was interesting because I was nervous as heck. I was really stressed because if it didn't work, then there's no project. There's no book. Because it's like this just doesn't work if you maniacally focus. But short story, you know, let's make the long story shorter, is that it worked. And we had a record amount of sales, not only a month, but a record amount of sales for the year. Just by doing that for that month, And so that dramatically also reduced my stress because now all of a sudden we attack the thing that can cause the most stress. Uh, For a lot of you out there, it's like what's it could be related to monetary items. What's that one thing? Let's attack it. And even if you don't succeed, it reduces the stress because you're attacking it. You're doing something. And you might not succeed short term, but you're learning also from it. So long term, you're destined to succeed. And so most stress is caused by inactivity that you're not doing, attacking the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that can be business-related. It could be related to family if you're taking care of older parents. Uh, it could be kid-related if you're not doing the thing, like I'm not, oh, I haven't spent the time a half hour a night reading with my kids that I'm supposed to be doing. That can cause stress. And so it's really understanding and attacking that one thing that's causing the stress. Or deciding when you are able to, sometimes you can't eliminate it, but looking at it and going, do I even need to do this? Do I even need this in my life? Do I even, and this gets more deep, this gets deeper. Do I even need this person in my life? And so that can help reduce stress as well by that elimination. So again, going back to less but better. So that can relate to friends, too. I know it sounds weird, but it can be less but better friends.
2: Friends and family. But honestly, I don't know exactly. why people hire family. Don't do it. <laughs> That's a recent develop. Not for me, but... Yeah, you know, when you hire somebody to whatever it is, let's say lawn care, and you didn't train them, and he's your nephew, and you have to defend him, you're going to lose business. I'm just saying that's what's going to happen. So you do have to say no, and you have to say it to friends, to family, to yourself. And t- and telling yourself no is difficult. It really is because look, you know, we're all born attorneys. We can straddle those fences and argue both sides. Watch a three-year-old. That kid is going to get whatever that child wants because they're persuasive. We, we need to learn to be more persuasive with ourselves and say, mm, no, that's not a good idea, or it's not a priority, or it's, it's not what's going to move you forward in the next half hour, in the next day, in the next year. So that's part of focus is what do I work on? What do I pay attention to? And how do I do it?
0: Yeah, one of the ways, the easiest way for all the type A personalities out there is just to understand it's called respecting capacity. Meaning, if you treat yourself almost like a store inventory, that you only have so many yeses. And so think about those yeses on the shelf. And then you've got kind of to really cognitively think about it. Is this worth one of my yeses for me to reach up on the shelf and give this item or give this person, give this activity, this meeting, whatever it might be, one of my yeses? And so that's what it means by respecting capacity. You almost got to think of yourself as a store with limited inventory and on that shelf. So you see all these shelves, you got yeses and no's, and you have a lot less yeses than noes. All successful people visualize that. And so think about that visual and that helps you a lot. That helps me a lot to understand that I've only got so many yeses. So I really got to be fickle with them. And, and that's includes yourself when you ask yourself, Am I going to do this one item? Is this really what I want to be doing? Is this one of my yeses that I want to use? And so is it that Willy Walker golden ticket that I want to use? So trying to think of it that way is a little bit easier for all of us to understand. Yes, of course I have limited capacity. Okay, let me think about it more of a shelf level, like inventory on the yeses and no's, And that helps you focus.
2: I love that. Listen, you said something earlier about your dad. Saying um, about the 15 points IQ, can you come back and let's talk about that and other things? This has been fascinating.
0: Oh yeah, no. Well, first of all, it's funny. My initials Eric Qualman, are EQ and EQ for somebody that knows emotional intelligence. And if you dig into it at the high, if you dig into it, most people erroneously think IQ is what leads to success. Most successful people actually have a much higher EQ. Um, that's why they're successful. They understand emotional intelligence. They understand empathy. They actually understand what other people are thinking. Um, and so I can't thank my parents enough for blessing me with that type of mindset to grow up in. And it took me a long time. You wouldn't think of it, but I was like, oh, EQ is actually my initials. That's kind of crazy. Um, and so as much as I try to step into it, it's always trying to understand empathy so when we talk about no, at first you're like again the best way you can help someone is saying yes but the second best way you can help them is that empathy i gotta give them a quick no so that they can move on so just think about if they're like hey you want to join us for dinner they have four seats if you're kind of vacillating hesitating you're burning up their time or if you give them a quick no then they can probably fill that seat with someone else a little easier
2: Exactly. Eric, we've got just about a minute. Can you tell people again where to find you?
0: Yeah, I'm easy to find. Again, it sounds like a superhero. Uh, not all superheroes wear capes, and a lot of us just need the courage to wear the cape. All of us are superheroes. I'm found at Equal Man across the board. So it sounds exact. Equal Man. So it's just my first initial, last name across all social, EqualMan.com. That's the easiest way uh, to find me. We have our own podcast, Super U Podcast. That's designed to unlock and unleash the superpower that's within all of us. Um, and so that's where you can find me.
2: I love it. Eric, thank you. It has been really wonderful speaking with you, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice and the book that you have shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for some <laughs> And really, anywhere else you consume your business podcast. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting us. Just look for your partner on Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Eric, thank you.
1: Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab
0: so thanks again for listening to today's super you podcast again it's a podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower and if you want to pay it forward make sure you go post a review for the super you podcast because what that will do it allow others that aren't familiar with our podcast to discover it and hopefully that allows them to unlock and unleash their inner superpower. So that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Equal Man. Reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world; it is what we leave behind.
2: Seven, six, six five, four, three,
0: two, one.
1: Super, super, super,
0: super, super you. Uh,